Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. I'm Alicia. The devil went down to Georgia. We he got, was looking for a soul to steal. We've got some, uh, got oh. some southern stories for you. All of our favorite hometown Atlanta trashy divorces are coming for you this week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We're having a lot of fun with this. Uh, we're also having a lot of fun on Twitter at trashy divorces. We're having a lot of fun on f- in our Facebook group at trashy divorces. Basically, it's we're at Trashy Divorces everywhere. Find yeah. us. Instagram. Also, if you like, rate, and review, it helps people find the podcast. Yeah, your mission for this week. Tell somebody you think would like it. Absolutely. If a coworker would be ideal, if you are subject to the government shutdown, though, we realize you're just getting fucked over right now, and we're really sorry. Big cheers to the friend who was writing her wedding invitations who wondered if it was going to curse her wedding as she was listening to our pod at the same time. I love this story. Oh, my God. It was so much fun. I think you're solid. We're just going to give you some good advice. Big cheers to Best Neighbors Pod oh, who yeah. gave us a big shout out that was on great. their pod last that, week. That was great. We were bouncing around the house. That oh, my God. Great. Screaming, yelling. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, telling a friend, like, rate, review, find us at Trashy Divorces on all social We have got a story where I didn't mean to get so carried away, and I did. You you always, you find the tender. It's very nice. I did not do that. Alicia is about to tell you the story of Atlanta's favorite daughter. Mm -hmm. Stacy is going to share the story of... Atlanta's least favorite devil of a son. Most scandalous son of a bitch. You guys ready? Cue it up. Let's do trashy divorces. Whoop, whoop. Stacy, what do you have for us this week here at Trashy Divorces? I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> this week, uh-huh. I have the story of Atlanta's favorite daughter. Jane author. Fonda. Oh, no, but she's next. She's second oh, re- favorite. Oh, yeah, she's right. the second favorite daughter's Junkman's cousin. She's an adopted daughter. <laughs> she is an adopted daughter. She was not born in Atlanta. The focus of my story today is a woman who was huh. Atlanta's favorite daughter. Margaret Mitchell. Author. Author of Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. Margaret was born on November 8th, 1900. Okay. Turn of the century, baby. Okay. So, yeah. All right. When when was when did Gone with the Wind come out? 1936. Okay. Again, you're starting at the end. That's actually the middle of today. So I say, I know how this ends because uh, it's pretty famous as a pedestrian casualty, but... <laughs> Stick with me. Okay. Go ahead. Born into a socially and politically prominent family. Okay. Her mother is Maybelle Stevens. She is an attorney and a suffragist. Yes, I said that right. Wow. She is an attorney. Wow. In the South in 1900? Correct. Wow. Her father, Eugene Mitchell, is also an attorney. She has a brother named Stevens. Not Stephen, but Stevens, which is kind of a, I don't know, I guess you put an S on it in 1900. Okay. He's four years older. He was born in 1896. Okay. 
I'm prefacing this. I'm about to take a detour. Margaret Mitchell recalls of her childhood, it is what you put into your head that will help you survive. Hmm. As a writer, ah, I love this. As all writers since the beginning of time really are just aching to tell the story that is in their heart. That's what you write. Any author who writes anything is telling the story that lives inside of them. Okay. That seems true. From the tidbits that I've collected about her childhood, for my readers of Gone with the Wind, I think you're going to find some hidden gems in the story. I'm going to tell you, everybody, some things which may seem unimportant to the trashy divorce at hand, which is what we're here to talk about, but they are essential to understanding Margaret Mitchell, Gone with the Wind, and the supposition I have for the end of my tale. Okay. We can't ever start where we're supposed to start. We always start at the end. Anyway, okay. as a disclaimer, I did first read this book at the tender age of eight. The spine is broken on my cover. It is a book I have read thousands of times. One, you look surprised. Did you not know this about me? Gone with the Wind? Yeah. Um, I knew that you had a, an intense Gone with the Wind fandom. One may think mm -hmm. this epic novel to Atlanta is a tribute to slavery and a long ago forgotten time that is looking to be immortalized. But I think the exact opposite, that Margaret Mitchell is telling the story of her childhood and only the story that she can tell. She grows up at the knees of veterans and widows, and she knows she needs to find some gumption to survive the world. Scarlet is Margaret Mitchell. She goes by the name of Peggy. And I will probably intersperse those two names throughout the story. Just a quick little fact. Scarlett O'Hara, as a character, was written as Pansy O'Hara originally in the story and was only changed before the book went into publication. Do you know why? She Why the name was changed? Yeah. It was a stronger name. But oh, Margaret fair, Mitchell fair. wrote the book with Pansy O'Hara. So Peggy wrote Peggy Pansy. Pansy. Gotcha, there you go. Gotcha. Okay, okay, so we're going to start at the beginning. I have chills. I'm so excited I get to tell this story today. Margaret's father's side is from Scotland. They settled in Wilkes County, Georgia in 1777. Her grandfather did fight in the Civil War and was wounded. After the Civil War, he began supplying lumber for the rebuilding of Atlanta and proceeds to make a fortune because, you know, Sherman burned it. Yeah. Her mother's parents came from Ireland and settled in Jonesboro, Georgia. Her maternal grandfather did also fight in the Civil War. And post-war, he was a prosperous real estate developer and one of the founders of the Atlanta trolley system. Okay. Okay. Just want you to have that backstory. Sure, sure. There was a lot in there for readers of Gone with the Wind. I'm planning subtle hints in without... Mm -hmm. I want to make sure the people who are smart enough to already know her story are getting some new stuff in this. Because I know I did, and I've loved this for years. When Margaret Mitchell was about three... Her dress catches on fire, and her mother freaks out. It is so traumatic for her mom that she starts dressing Peggy in pants okay. from the age of three on. <laughs> Fearing that it would happen again because she didn't want it to. So well, this, yeah. yeah, makes an impression on little Peggy. 
who is in pants and her brother at this time is four years older. All she wants to do is play with her brother. And he says, I don't play with girls. I only play with boys. She's like, it's cool. Call me Jimmy. Oh, geez. So she proceeds to go by the name of Jimmy until she is 14 just so she can hang out with her brother. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yes, that is. That is amazing. So she's kind of a tomboy. Uh, She liked to ride ponies. Kind of a tomboy. Goes by the name of Jimmy. Wears pants. Wears pants. Mitchell says she heard Civil War stories from her relatives when she was growing up. As a child, she was always fascinated by the Confederate veterans who did not, as they're drinking on the porch, did not soften their language around this kid. And this is going to come up in a second with something very harrowing. Okay. So on Sunday afternoons, they go calling to older generations of relatives. This is so funny. Those who had been active in the 60s. Is that how they referred to it? The 1860s. Shit. Yeah, they were active in the 60s. Okay. Uh, She recalls sitting on the bony knees of veterans and the fat, slippery laps of great aunts and heard them talk. On summer vacations... She goes down to the old plantation in Jonesboro and her maternal great aunts are there who had been 21 and 13 when the Civil War began. So, like, she grows up hearing these stories. Now, the irony here, she grows up hearing these stories. This is 40, 50 years later. These were the OGs that wanted to make America great again. Oh, God. Yeah, you're right. right. Like, they're telling stories 50 years later of how great it was back in the 60s. The heroism. The heroism, even though every single one of them did great after the war. Oh, interesting. Right? Like, we've got prosperous real estate, prosperous lumber. Like, they did fine after the war, but with veterans and widows, it's still make America great again. Yeah. The more you change, the more you stay the same. So at six, her mom like takes her on buggy tours through the country. They see burned out places. So Peggy later recalls what her mother said to her. And I'll quote, she talked about the world those people had lived in such a secure world and how it had exploded beneath them. She told me that my world was going to explode under me someday. God help me if I didn't have some weapon to meet the new world. So Margaret's weapon really becomes her writing. Um, She's raised in an era where children are seen and not heard. Her mom kind of uses hairbrushes or slippers as discipline, even though her dad in 1912, sorry, apropos to nothing abolished corporal punishment within like the georgia state school system oh interesting. So, like, okay. she's from a family so of, kind of reformers she is from a family of reformers being the legacy of the old south like kind of it's kind of a mind warp back yeah. in the 60s yeah. back in the 60s <laughs> back in the 60s now uh here's sort of what's funny so Margaret learns all the gritty details of specific battles from going to visit these aging Confederate soldiers. She rides on the pony one day with an aging soldier and his girlfriend. She did not learn until she was 10 that the South had lost the war. Oh, my God. That actually doesn't surprise me. Here's, here's her quote. I heard everything in the world except that the Confederates lost the war. 
when I was 10 years old, it was a violent shock to learn that General Lee had been defeated. (laughs) I didn't believe it when I first heard it, and I was indignant. I still find it hard to believe so strong or childhood impressions. So imagine the brain she's growing up in. Right. Reformist parents growing up at the knees. What? South lost the Civil War. Her mom is the president of the Atlanta Women's Suffrage League in 1915. Hosts Carrie Chapman Cat at a speech. Margaret gets yelled at because Margaret, it, this is 1916, so Margaret's like 15, wearing a Votes for Women banner, blowing kisses while her mom is giving a speech. Like, Margaret's trouble. She is sassy. Uh, She likes pranks. She attends the Atlanta's Washington Seminary, which is now Westminster. Okay. At the time, Atlanta Washington Seminary was a fashionable private girls school. She was really active in the drama club where she begins to play all of the male character roles in Shakespeare in Whatever. Gotcha. Because so, it, it's an all-girls school, so somebody has to, right? Well, Jimmy's got a... Yeah. J- Jimmy, no, Jimmy, Jimmy needs a... Jimmy's got the pants. <laughs> That's right. So she also joins a literary club. She has two stories published in the yearbook. So take a pen out of that gritty language. Nobody ho- holds anything from her. In one of these stories published in the yearbook, Little Sister is the name of the story, She writes, 10-year-old Peggy is the heroine. She hears her older sister being raped and shoots the rapist. Listen to this line. Coldly, dispassionately, she viewed him. The chill steel of the gun giving her confidence. She must not miss now. She would not miss. And she did not. (laughs) This is a kid in high school. Yeah, yeah. That is a... Yeah, no, Nineteen sixteen, yeah. writing these stories. She graduates from Washington Seminary in nineteen eighteen. Falls in love with Clifford West Henry, who leaves to go. He's a chief bayonet instructor at Camp Gordon, and he sets sail for France. Uh, word on the street is that Henry is rather effete looking. Hmm. Maybe he has homosexual tendencies. Hmm. But he gives Mitchell an engagement ring, so. Jimmy. Just making, just want you to, Jimmy, male roles, gay boyfriend. Okay. Like, I feel like you're, you're painting a picture here. <laughs> she goes to Smith College and a month later, Henry is mortally wounded in action in France. Oh, okay. So that. Dead mm-hmm. gay boyfriend. So that is not the trashy divorce. That is not uh, the trashy mm-hmm. divorce. So here she is at Smith College I've been a freshman in college and your whole world rocks Mm -hmm. and it's a tough time anyway, but her boyfriend is dead. Right. Her mother that winter in January of 1919 dies of the influenza epidemic. Jeez. So she finishes her freshman year at Smith. She returns to Atlanta to take over the household. I was going to say this is her mom said that her world would blow up beneath her or whatever that's exactly right and it does so she comes back to atlanta because dad needs yeah supper on the stove sure she comes back to take care of dad brother never returned to college she does get an honorary degree from smith i'm busting in with the fact for later but she does get an honorary degree from smith later but right now i wasn't worried i I mean no education (laughs) 
Not no education. Well, I mean, but not a degree. Sure. Although in 1919 in Atlanta, in a privileged, that wouldn't matter for a woman. But she's a for she's from a reformist family. Like she is devastated right now right, having right. to give up college and her dreams to keep house and take her mother's place in a society. Okay, that's fair. Giving up all the worthwhile things that counted for nothing. That is quote unquote. So Margaret begins using the name Peggy. So I guess she leaves Jimmy, mm-hmm. evolves to Peggy. Mm-hmm. We're going to like this. And it starts to use Peg at Smith when she finds some inspiration in Pegasus, who yeah. inspires the poets. There you go. Just saying. There's a lot of hidden. <laughs> All right. Um, some other important historical things. She's 19 years old when the 19th Amendment is ratified. What? Okay. 1920 struck down that restrictive rule. She's a flapper in Atlanta. Gin and jazz, baby. She comes out. And she... segregation. Oh, we're to, coming to, to that. To be clear. I was trying to stay on the happy times. So... She makes her society debut in 1920 in the winter season. She is a flapper, short hair. She's a little bit of a scandal. In 1921, at an Atlanta debutante charity ball, Peggy recruits her buddy over from Georgia Tech. Probably a suave dancer. She might have known a few. His name is Sigmund Wheel. And they prepare to dance the Apache, which is a provocative Parisian street dance of the jazz age. So you're looking at Valentino, and it's all very... They deliver such a sensational performance, delivered at the Georgian Terrace Hotel. Been there. Me too. One shocked Victorian matron declared... I thought this was supposed to be an Indian dance. Did you see how he kissed her? Oh, God. It is scandal. It is the biggest scandal that has ever hit Atlanta. The Junior League blackballs her. She's denied a membership. Right? Because that's what you do. You deb. And then you join the, like... Okay, I actually didn't know that. Okay, so yeah, like that's you a deb, And then you join the Junior League. Because so. I'm like, oh, the Junior League won't have me? That's fine. fine. Well... Okay. Different times, different, different going, station in life. <laughs> going back to the giving up worthwhile things that counted for nothing, Peggy sort of flipped a bird at the Junior League and was like, yeah, I'm going to do this Apache dance, and it's a lot of fun, and go to hell. So she gets blackballed. By the Junior League. By the Junior League. Clutch your pearls. So in her own words, she describes herself as an unscrupulous flirt. She found herself engaged to five men. Wow. At the same time? Wow. She maintains she did not lie or mislead any of them. There is a local gossip columnist at the time who writes under the name of Polly Peachtree, which is just charming. Yes. And says about Mitchell's love life in a 1922 column... She has in her brief life perhaps had more men, really, truly dead in love with her, more honest-to-goodness suitors than almost any other girl in Atlanta. Hmm. Like, she literally is Scarlett O'Hara at the barbecue. Okay, okay. By April 1922, Mitchell narrows it down to two. (laughs) One is Barion Kennard Upshaw, which just, if it doesn't make you want to puke... I, he goes by the nickname of Red. What? Wait, yeah. He, so well, so many options there. But okay. Barian, I, I think he was. I think he may have been Ginger. 
so it kind of fit, but Gone with the Wind people, red, red, there's a parallel corollary. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, anyway, red, she meets and dates, he ends up in contention. The other is red's roommate and best friend, John Marsh. He's a copy editor who works at the AP. Remember the name John Marsh? So we're going to talk about Red for a second. Okay. He's a class act. Oh, good. Good, good. Here we go. Now we're getting to the trashy divorce. All right. Well, let's get to the, the lovely trashy marriage. marriage that, yeah, it doesn't, the lovely marriage doesn't take long to get to the trashy divorce. Great. So it's Red what is, I'm here for. <laughs> Red is the oldest son, and he and Peggy do share a traumatic thread. His mother died of the influenza as well around the same time. So there's a little bit of sympathy he also happens to be, I guess, hot as shit. He's got like a football player physique and super handsome and suave. Um, do you mean quarterback or linebacker? Nice. All right. So athletic fit. Athletic like blah, 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 blah. fit. Okay. Super handsome. In 1919, he is appointed to the Naval Academy, but resigns January of 1920 for academic deficiencies. Meaning not the brightest bulb in the box of light bulbs. When you're pretty. <laughs> so, so so I've heard. <laughs> readmitted in May. He's 19. He spends two months at sea before resigning. Uh, he's unsuccessful in his educational pursuits. No job. He bootlegs alcohol out of the Georgia mountains well, to raise I'm some cash. Suddenly liking this guy more. I mean... No, he's a dick. <laughs> so, doesn't matter. Her family disapproves. Peggy and Red marry September the 2nd, 1922. The best man at the wedding was John Marsh. Okay. Roommate and best friend. All right. Margaret's friends do not understand why she married this dude. Sure, he's built and handsome. Uh, never has this been implied in any of the reading, but... I'm going to throw back to Debbie Reynolds here. Good girls get really tired of waiting. Her brother, thanks big bro, recalls later that Peggy did not have good judgment in men. Hmm. They do marry in September. There's a little foreshadowing for you. They marry in September. She wears a traditional white satin dress ornamented with pearls. They are married at the family home, decorated in white flowers. Similax? Smilax. Smilax. And palms. However, our girl Peggy carries a bouquet of bright red roses. Okay. As a little blip off. They honeymoon at the Grove Park Inn. Okay. In Asheville, North Carolina. Sure. They return to Atlanta and they move into her family home. (sighs) Remember, mom is dead. She's taking care of dad and brother and a house and a husband, but this move puts a strain. On an already pretty tenuous union, everybody's pissed that she married this dude. And apparently they were correct to be. Red, in many unsuccessful attempts to earn a living, has no success. Can't imagine that we've seen that life pattern before. And departs the Mitchell household in December 1922. How long were they married then? Four months. They were married longer, but they lived together four months before he is out of there, out of there. From what I can pull together of my research, those four months were super bad. I would think um, it sounds like she has a very comfortable home and for him to just like 
Can't put up with you people anymore. Yeah, that didn't nope. go. Not only that, he is verbally and physically abusive. Wonderful. He beats Margaret upon a return visit to see her. Oh. Not only that, she sleeps with a loaded gun under her pillow. Okay, don't fuck with Margaret Mitchell. Okay. Remember the kid who wrote about her sister being raped and she shoots the guy? Pull a pin out of that. Oh, wow. Someday your world's like, this is a girl Mm -hmm. with gumption. And I am all here for it. By December, the marriage is done. Upshaw's out. (sighs) She suffers physical, emotional abuse. He's an alcoholic. He has a violent temper. Kick to the curb. Out of there. It's December 1922. But she's got gumption. Washes that man out of her hair. But hey, I'm in Atlanta. I got some skills. She squares her shoulders. And mid-December 1922, Peggy marches herself down to the city editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. She wants a gig. He's impressed, but he doesn't have any openings in the society or the women's pages, because clearly that's all she was fit to do. (laughs) AJC, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, was not ready yet for women to do any kind of real news reporting. She's like, all right. Nonplus, next week, goes on another interview with the Atlanta Journal Sunday magazine, who were blown away by her. She says later she lies about being a speed demon with typing, but she gets the gig. Sure. And her first article is published December 31st, 1922. Cool. So think about the month of December. Sleeping with a load of gun. Yeah, yeah. Husband out. Let's get a new job. She is a woman of the new age. Gotcha. At the time, right, she's been married about four months. This is just writerly stuff that I thought was interesting. She does release two articles using his last name and then requests to keep her maiden name and does so for the rest of her life in writing. She okay. goes by Margaret Mitchell. Her friends and family will always know her as Peggy. And then, hold on. I don't want to ruin it. Okay. So, working at the Atlanta Sunday Magazine, she begins to get gigs with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. There is a delightful little book called Margaret Mitchell Reporter that collects all of these article stories, which are really the most charming slice of Atlanta in the early 1920s. A fascinating tale. We'll link to it. I have all of my sources that we'll put on the website. Okay. In the four years and four months that she worked for as a reporter, she turns out 129 features, 85 news stories, and several book reviews. Wow. Pretty impressive, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of writing. So she's a little spitfire. Yeah. Okay. But where's Red? They're still married, right? She's okay, still, I was, yeah, yeah, I was like, wondering. So he, where did he So go? he walked out, and that was that, but they're not well, divorced? we're getting to that. Uh, here's, uh, your, here's your trashy divorce. Red, our real uh, original poster boy for toxic masculinity in 1924, agrees to an uncontested divorce. He had been contesting it until then, but Dad eventually buys him off with some cash. And the promise that they will not press assault charges on him. Huh, that's that's handy. That's handy leverage there. Handy. Nice, I guess nice Red work. decides this is a good deal. No jail time? Cool. <laughs> Get while they get. <laughs> Rise on the mountain, run, boy, run. Yeah, right. Yeah, so off he goes. 
He does remarry. He comes to a sad end in 1949 when he dies from a fall from a hotel window in Galveston. End of red. Not weird. Okay, go ahead. End of red. Are we done with the story? Are we? Nah. Nah. nah you're not going to leave us hanging. There's always more. There's the rest of the story. Remember the best man, John Marsh? Sure. On July 4th, 1925, 24-year-old Peggy and 29-year-old John Marsh get married. She realizes, like, she knew immediately that she had picked the wrong guy. And they get married in 1925, and they make their home at the Crescent City Apartments in Atlanta. They affectionately call it the dump. There's some little Atlanta sure, history. Sure, sure. This is now the Margaret Mitchell House and Museum. Right. Where you can go. It's available for tours. They also host exhibitions. Anyway, they get married in 1925. The following year. So the trashy divorce is done, but the story's not done with her because she's Atlanta's favorite daughter. Right. We needed a little joy and redemption. Right. Because, yeah, your story's scandal. My story's awesome. Go ahead. (laughs) So the following year, 1926, she sprains her ankle which had been broken before in 1911 and 1920, she resigns from the paper. Okay. She's stuck on a couch. She's stuck on a chair, and she really does begin writing in earnest for the next three years what would become her claim to fame. Gone with the wind. Number one selling novel of the 20th century. In 1925, she does finish the bulk of her novel. She shows it to John Marsh, her husband, and her friend Lois Cole who does happen to handily work for Macmillan Publishing. Oh. Lois begs her for five years to, like, please do something with this. In 1935, she finally convinces Peggy to show it to Howard Latham. Her manuscript is accepted in July of 1935. She gets 500 bucks. 500 bucks! And spends the rest of the year editing, checking historical accuracies, and crossing out pansy and Edward, rewriting you know, Scarlet. Scarlet yeah. <laughs> so in 1936, Gone with the Wind is published in June. By October, it's sold over one million copies. David O. Selznick purchases the movie rights for $50,000 in 1936. The cat's really liking this part of your story. He's excited. He's mm-hmm. turning around in circles. In 1937, Gone with the Wind wins Pulitzer Prize, a National Book Award, and the annual award for the American Booksellers Association. So in 1939, Gone with the Wind, the film, premieres December 15th at Lowe's Grand Theater. Like, this shuts down Atlanta. It is a huge deal. There are parades, dances, balls. The biggest ball of them all is the one being held by the take a pin oh, out of it junior league Fuck yeah <laughs> so peggy ah. is notoriously shy she's very much an introvert like she's not it, i mean she does what she has to do but sure. she is not comfortable in the public eye at all she attends every damn thing in atlanta that week that is a big deal thing, except for the biggest deal thing of them all, which is the Junior League Ball, because fuck you. My Apache dance was badass. Good for her. Good Just for her, good, yeah. right? She's a little sassy. The film ends up winning 10 Academy Awards, and if you really want the year of Golden Hollywood movie making, 
1939, All Damn Day, Gone with the Wind, The Women, Wizard of Oz, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Dark Victory, Stagecoach, Wuthering Heights. Wow. Like, it is. So, for 1939 to produce all those incredible movies. Yeah, I didn't. I knew Wizard of Oz. I didn't know the list was quite that long. 10 Academy Awards, including the first Academy Award ever to be awarded to a black actor or actress, Hattie McDaniel. Cool. Ah, here's where Margaret Mitchell gets, this is Atlanta's favorite daughter. The night that she returns home from the premiere of Gone with the Wind, she writes Hattie McDaniel, who is not at the premiere because Because the black cast, because segregation, the black cast could not stay in the same hotel with the white cast. Right. No, because everything was completely fucked up in the South at that time. Correct. Yeah. Like, and here's the thing, like, Gone with the Wind, like, oh, it's a racist book. No, it's really, if you look at her childhood and her writing and how she evolved, she really does become very much a proponent for desegregation and black rights in the South, even though it's kind of quietly. She uses her money and fame in the best ways possible. Uh, The black cast couldn't come, even at the Oscars, where Hattie McDaniel won, she wasn't seated with the cast. Yes. Oh Even at the Oscars. Okay. And, yeah. Like America do better. Yeah. 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 Do better. So f- <laughs> funny. True. Gone with the wind, you know, is a good book. If the Nazis banned it, Russia also banned it. The this Nazis thought it would implant a will to survive oh. and implant a resistance streak. Oh yeah. We don't want that. Which may be a little bit of a forebearer today. Uh, Mitchell does use her fame and Gone with the Wind money for social causes. She, during World War II, works for the Red Cross, raising millions for the war effort. Despite fragile health herself, she accepts invitations to commission Navy cruisers. Uh, two, actually, both USS Atlanta, the first she christened in September 1941, it was sunk during the war and she raised money again <laughs> to go back and christen the second. Okay. Like, she has a ton of money. Right. She still drives a 1929 car. Like, she is not... Sure. She's, for use of a better term, braggadocious about anything. Like, she's she's living a very quiet life with her second husband, John Marsh. They're very happy. In 1942, she gets a letter from Benjamin Mays from Morehouse College. He thinks that she might be a little bit sympathetic to the haps and says, hey... You know, I really need a scholarship for this kid, and she sends him a check. And Mays, if you don't know, is the mentor of Martin Luther King Jr. He kind of thinks, hey, maybe this lady can help. They begin this secret correspondence that lasts for the rest of her life with his students as letter carriers. They never meet in person, but she ends up sponsoring dozens of scholarships for undergraduate and medical students at Morehouse College, she also quietly helps fund the first hospital for blacks in Atlanta. Very cool. Margaret and John have a happy marriage, or at least one that's calm and easy. He's a writer. He ends up working at Georgia Power, manages the business of Gone with the Wind. He loves her. She loves him. Quiet life. She spends a crap ton of money on a bunch of causes because she gets she can do something with it. Sure. He suffers a stroke in 1945. She nurses him for two years until he's out of danger. They watch a lot of movies as he's recuperating. VCR. 
<laughs> yeah, like they had real, real, real films. Yep, yep. <sighs> Margaret Mitchell does meet a sad end. Yeah. Atlanta, Atlanta traffic's terrible. Jesus Christ, Peachtree Street, which is really at Peachtree Street yep. on August 11th, 1949, crossing Peachtree Street. She and John Marsh were on the way to see a movie. Peggy was struck by a drunken taxicab driver, fell into a coma, and died five days later on August 16th. She is buried at Oakland Cemetery right down the road from us. And that is the tale of Atlanta's favorite daughter. Also our most prominent pedestrian car strike victim. <sighs> so sad. Like, I remember being, like, I'm still heartbroken about this. No, it was one I, of the first things I learned when I really? moved here was, like, don't even try to be a pedestrian here. Even Margaret Mitchell got killed by a yeah. car. Like she's a, she's a, Margaret Mitchell is a super big deal in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and close me into the last few sentences but she was asked what was the theme of gone with the wind and i think this is a pretty good way to to sum up my atlanta's favorite daughter story if the novel has a theme she says it is that of survival what could not do this and not cry because i love her what qualities are in those who survive that are lacking in those that go under I only know that survivors used to call that quality gumption. So I wrote about people who had gumption and people who didn't. So, um, in conclusion, I know I'm all tearing up. <laughs> gumption, man, she's so sassy. I I love her. This is an unexpected thing it's that unexpected is happening on trashy divorces. <laughs> think i was gonna cry um live your life like a person with gumption and if you're married to someone who sucks divorce the jerks and find your bliss and write your story and tell the junior league they can fuck right off i like it i like it i can't believe I'm fucking crying all right we're gonna pause even if we don't put an ad in here we're gonna I don't pause think after as if i'm in tears red gets some trash cans but not peggy oh yeah that i right the yes our our count sorry and in my secret way to work in hamilton in every episode and peggy i already i thought of it i need to i, just, I need I to laugh and now we need to take a break so i can wipe my peggy. tears yeah we'll be right back and peggy <laughs> hey trash pandas when you need a brain break from your day let me recommend the game june's journey for android and iphone It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. 
Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother, but that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Dis and Tell, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Bellisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Disentel on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. And Peggy. And we're back. Um, Your eyes are dry? I know I'm perimenopausal, but maybe my body's trying to tell me something. I did not anticipate getting taken over by the tears. Uh, I mean, did you finish? Did you actually finish your story or did you you perhaps just get overwhelmed, carried away? What do you mean? I mean... I mean, Pants and Jimmy. Jimmy and... Right and strong yeah. female Is characters. Margaret and Mitchell, like, an s- undercover hidden lesbian? Secretly? I don't know. I, you tell me. Jimmy, Pants, gay boyfriend. Lots of boyfriends. Bad first marriage. A lot of lesbians have one where you realize, hey, and then find John Marsh, and they're hap- like, childless. Oh, oh. Yeah, they never... Mm. Now, but she did have a lot of illnesses... Right. And traumatic things happened physically, so there might have been forbearance. Maybe that fire when she was a kid burned her ovaries? <laughs> I don't know. The uh, secret writer in me almost wishes I could find evidence that Margaret Mitchell might have walked on the you walked just, on the wild side during the flapper. Yeah. Don't ruin my fantasy. It's, it's my secret uh, fantasy. I would never ruin your Margaret Mitchell Gone with the Wind fantasy. Thank you for bringing me back to the point i did not anticipate the emotion but in writing this story i found all the good things even though it was kind of a trashy divorce and read up shaw's a dick yeah i tried to find all the good things because you are covering this week the <sighs> ultimate atlanta trash bag down here we just call him the trash bag of atlanta we don't we call him newt gingrich do you want to ask me if I'm ready? Are you? You're not ready. Are you ready? Oh no, I am because I've actually pulled up a hundred synonyms oh. for loathsome. Oh, good, good, disgusting. You'll need all of them and gross. Yep. Because I have a feeling this story is going to be so lit. 
I'm going to be stunned by your storytelling amazingness of Atlanta's most scandalous son. And I wanted to have something else to choose from besides what a dick. Yeah. Well, so I have a lot of words on the ready on hand. Go. You're going to need all of them. Atlanta's most scandalous son. My God. I call this, uh, honestly, at, at your request, I call this do as I divorce say, not as I do. It is not my request. That is one of our listeners. Oh, One is of it really? our favorite listener, Perrin. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Suggested that name for this particular divorce. All right. Let me throw in some credits here because I actually, sure. I mean, do it. New Gingrich is a famous political figure uh-huh. and there's been much written about him. Much of the story comes from a 1984 Mother Jones article called The Swinging Days of Newt Gingrich by David Osborne and from a 1995 Vanity Fair profile called The Inner Quest of Newt Gingrich by Gail Sheehy. Uh, We'll link to those along with the rest and and along with your sources at TrashyDivorces.com. Devin went down to Georgia. What is there to say about Newton Leroy Gingrich? You mean Voldenut? Voldenut. Voldenut. Okay, I'm taking off my glasses. Could you give me a synonym for loathsome right now? Because... Oh, how about... Oh, shit. I took took my glasses glasses off. off. I can't do that. Hold on. Uh, Scandalous. Well... Fair. All right. I'm sorry. Contemptible. Oh, excellent one. Tell me the contemptible, despicable tale. All right. Let's, uh, if if you do not know who this person is and was, let me, let me help. Newt (laughs) was, and his name actually is Newton Gingrich. Like he actually is named Newt Gingrich. That's not a funny nickname. That's his fucking name. I lapse. Hideous. (laughs) Newt was a Republican congressman representing Georgia's 6th Congressional District, which was south and west of Atlanta back then. It's been redrawn elsewhere for now, um, starting in 1978. Can you say gerrymandering? Hey, America, do better. He became Speaker of the House by leading the 1994 Republican Revolution, uh, which was the first time that Republicans had held a majority in the House since 1954. So 40 years of Democratic control of the House blown up. In G- Georgia in 1994. Gingrich, well, in D.C. Gingrich and his Republican revolutionaries, yeah, roll into town. And, and he seriously had spent years, more than a decade, engineering this this, I think they won like 54 seats that year, and it was Bill Clinton's presidency. Like There's been was... a lot of talk about the year of 1994 as sure. we went through the midterms of 2018. All right, so he had, Newt brought this big innovation to Washington, and it continues to infect our politics today. Newt's idea was that truth is absolutely irrelevant in the quest for power. Have I mentioned that he is abhorrent? And odious. Oh, very nice. Uh, so Newt took advantage <sighs> of the C-SPAN network, which had just been Still formed. Still a dick, yeah. And started, he'd go to the well of the house in the evenings, empty chamber, like Congress had, like, recessed for the day. So he's in an empty room with the C-SPAN cameras on him, and he would just deliver these fiery partisan speeches. And Seriously? Oh, yeah. That was that was how he... I mean, just a live mic? Mm-hmm. That was how he rose to yeah. prominence in the part like to the mic man. You yeah, he sing like you believe. Yeah, he called his Democratic colleagues traitors and communists and weak and corrupt. Like he just didn't care. Did anybody on C-SPAN might think to like leave off the record button? 
No. Or was it just live feed? This was just, this, again, I mean, this was sort of an innovation. This was him taking advantage of this sort of new medium that was available to him. He was a young congressman from a backwater and... Quick question. Yeah. Does C-SPAN still have that same just live feed that any politician can walk up to yeah. and say shit on? Yeah. Still today? Pretty sure, yeah. I mean, C-SPAN has like, there are three or four C-SPANs now, but they've got live cameras in the House and in the Senate. And AOC, I see a huge <laughs> opportunity for you. She's got Instagram. Like, that's the thing. You don't need it these you days. You don't need but, it these But back days. then. Back then, it was a big deal. Yeah. So okay. anyway, so Newt Gingrich is in the living rooms of America in the <sighs> evenings. All right. Just going nuts about how anti-American and anti-family and anti-child and anti-job so the Democrats are. dispersing his anti-truth message because it doesn't have to be true. Right. Okay. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't. He, he said that he said that they were, the Democrats were sharing communist propaganda in the, the like anti-room to the speaker's chamber. Like, that seems unhealthy <laughs> and foul. I see you reading from your list. Um, over the course of his career, he became a champion of family values. I am making the biggest air quotes in the world I can with my fingers right now. Uh, he was fighting, among other things, the radical gay agenda on behalf of traditional marriage. Like, I cannot air quote this enough. And as I, a gay person, this this man is one of the real villains of my lifetime. Oh, he's a villain. Yes. He is a villain. Okay. So let's talk about the marriages Family values champion, Newt Gingrich. Would this be maybe why you call your story as I divorcee, not as I do? I know you're dancing in I, your chair. I can't help he it. He is He's ghastly. so vile. He's so... Nah, cross vile off my list. Newt. <laughs> Newt. Newt. <laughs> Sorry. He's so bad I needed something delightful to hold on to because he is a trash can. I haven't even started. I mean, fuck you and your family values. You are the most hypocritical fucker who has ever fucked. What a dick. You're repellent <laughs> and repugnant. Go ahead. I thought Rudy Giuliani was uh was was evocative. No, here we go. All right. It starts sweetly enough. And it begins. When Newt is 16. Yeah. He little falls, Newt. He falls in love. A Newtlet. A little Newtlet Aww. falls in love. Aww. And when he's 19 in yeah, 1962, huh. he marries his high school sweetheart. It's totally sweet. That's super sweet. Yeah. Are you going to make me feel better about Newt Gingrich? No. Because <laughs> his high school sweetheart had also been his high school geometry teacher. What? 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 He married his teacher. How old is she? Seven years older than he is. Whoa. <laughs> I have some questions. Yeah. So, you know. he's 16. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's his teacher and uh -huh. is 23. Mm -hmm. And they fall in love. So, the story that they told during their 18 year long marriage. Don't stand so close to me. Yeah. The story they told is that when Newt graduated from high school and was accepted to Emory University and came to Atlanta. Sure. She had already moved up here to teach here in Atlanta. And because she'd fucked all those other kids? And one day Newt knocks on her door. And is oh. like, I'm here. 
And that was that. They married the following year. Once they were no longer married, her, oh, oh. her version of the story changed a bit to, to them dating when he was her student. <sighs> and there's a HuffPost article that nope. includes Nobody. mention of dalliances in the back of his car at night or her car. I'm not sure, but backseat dalliances. Anyway, so how these days we call that a crime. Okay, so as no. her name was, I got uh, around a bunch, but as a twenty-three-year-old, I never fucked a sixteen-year-old. That that speaks well of you. No, like you just there. Hey, they ended up married. <laughs> Again, nauseating. That was apparently nineteen fifty-nine, though nineteen sixty. Like, I don't know. Um, In South Georgia, are your options for girls limited? What do you think those other sixteen-year-old girls did in the class? Like. Ah, oh, Newtlet, you're so cute. And he's I like, nope, I'm hot for teacher. Doubt it. I've seen pictures. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jackie Batley. Was Is her name? Seven years older. Juicy. Um, uh, the marriage was sort of atypical for the time period. Got myself a younger man. Well, a younger student, Jackie, worked. What? Newt went to college. And then Newt went to grad school, and he refused to get a job oh. until he got his PhD. So his only work experience before being a congressman was that he was a history professor at West Georgia College. Okay, so hold up. What you're telling me is that Jackie worked her fucking ass off. Oh, yeah. To the bone day by day uh-huh. to support him through undergraduate. Yep. Postgraduate and a doctoral degree. Yes. Emory and Tulane, to be specific. I'm sorry. I have to consult my list again. Oh, just wait, because they do break up in the end. What a king of the pricks. Oh, yeah. No, they they had... Men like this really... They had a lot of money. They had a lot of money problems. Let me be gender nonspecific. But if you are looking to your spouse to support your... Looking at you, Bernie Sanders... Um, shit ass. Let me find it. Ugh. This is grisly. Go ahead. <laughs> um, Jackie handled the family finances. Because, yeah, she did. She's got to support your stupid ass. Yeah, they had two daughters. Uh, Newt ran for Congress in 1974 and 1976. And then finally in 1978, he actually won his election. So two unsuccessful campaigns. Yes, it was 78 wins in it, Georgia six. Yes. It landed was, John Ossoff. Not then. I mean, I know, it, it, but, but it yeah. was a whole different it, current it, land of Lucy. It Bath. runs. It's South of Atlanta over to West of Atlanta. Like it, it's a really different placement than, than yeah. than the Lucy McBath. Stay seats. off Peachtree street. <laughs> Unless you're newt walk on Peachtree street. Well, all you all fucking you want. want. Okay. So during his first run in 1974, his friends and advisors realized that he was having an affair. Oh, goody. One said of whoever it was he was dating, we'd have won in 74 if we could have kept him out of the office screwing her on the desk. No. He and Jackie considered divorce, uh, but opted to go into marriage counseling instead. And the marriage was saved insofar as Gingrich kept having affairs, but he hid them better. Dear listeners, marriage counseling did not work. 
A woman he had a relationship with in 1977 told Vanity Fair, we had oral sex. He prefers that modus operandi because then he can say, I never slept with her, which is such a Bill Clinton thing to say, right? They were so, it, like, it is so, it is so slimy amazing. Slimy isn't even on my list. That's just <laughs> slimy. slimy. It's so amazing that history puts Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton together as, you know, these opposite forces because they are, are the same. Alike. They are the same. Yes. In his winning campaign in 1978, the same year that Jackie uh, was diagnosed with uterine cancer, what? he ran on a return to traditional morals, and he portrayed himself as a committed family man. After he's been in marriage counseling because he is a notorious cheater, and wait a minute, back up, after what? She she was diagnosed with uterine cancer what? in 78, yeah. So he's running on a family values platform with a wife with diagnosed cancer mm-hmm. being a serial cheater. But committed family man. He's going to go to D.C. and fight for families. Uh, to, to his friends, he was already musing about his eventual rise to power and who would be by his side when he did. He told one friend. His uh, wife who's dying of cancer. He told one friend, allegedly, you know and I know that she's not young enough or pretty enough to be the wife of a president. <gasps> and besides, she has cancer. Ooh. Newt has denied saying this. There are a lot of things in here Newt has denied doing and saying. So she's the Catherine of Aragon. Here comes hot little cookie Anne Boleyn. And he's like, you're older. You're eight years older than me. She taught him how to live. Yeah. Taught you how to live. You have done everything for me. And now I'm going to put you in cold, wet whales. Kind of. Dying of cancer. That's actually not far from it. So in 1980, Newt tells Jackie he wants a divorce. So as much as Newt is a legit scumbag and treated her horribly. Does he um, found a new religion? Sort of. He, I mean, that's, this is really scary. We so, may have paralleled these incorrectly. All right. So, but let me tell you, so there is, there's this myth of Newt that sort of needs to be revisited because okay. the story I've always heard, I think probably you've always heard. And it's, it's sort of the story of Newt Gingrich is that he rushed to his dying wife's hospital room and forced her to sign the divorce papers there. Yeah. That's not that's not exactly right. So obviously she Trashy had, Divorces does aim to tell you surprisingly informative things. Sure. Gentle and correction. While we are not supporting Trash Bag Newt in this, um, the fact of the matter is that um, Jackie lived to be 77 years old and died in 2013. Uh, she did, though, there, there was an incident where she had wow. surgery in early 1980 to remove another tumor. And as she was recovering, Newt shows up with like a a to-do, like a checklist of Mm -mm. stuff because he's been kind of badgering her for a divorce for a while. And I guess he feels like, well, if she's just laid up, we may as well go over all the the stuff we needed to take care of. She can't get mad and leave. Right. That might. uh, What? She's not going to walk out of this conversation. I need to refer to my list. Shocking. Because all I really want to say is what a dick. Go ahead. So anyway, it was several months later before he actually filed for divorce. So anyway, so that story of him, like, that's not, it's yeah, not but quite. But he proposes divorce when she's on her. Well, and that's, you can't know if you're fighting cancer. You don't know if you're going to, if it's going to kill you're you. You're in like, Schrodinger's anyway. box. Like, he's am a, I going to live? Am I going to die? I don't know. He's a garbage pile. And garbage pile. Um, also, aside from all the affairs <laughs> And the, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. <laughs> he totally fucked her over during the divorce and refused to give her 
any support what for months uh the church their church after she put supported him for how many years putting him through 18 18 years of fucking school without you can't even go work at the damn snow cone stand do you know what his salary was when he was making these runs for congress oh i'm holding my head it was no. eleven thousand dollars a year and when he took time off to do to run to to campaign <sighs> his salary fell by a third she was funding his campaigns too they, what a monster. Yeah. For the first months of the divorce, their church held food drives to stock their pantry, collected monetary donations so that, I don't know, she could see doctors. You know, like he. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Mr. Family Values, that's, everybody needs to work for their goddamn dime. That's him. Lived off food pantry donations from no, their no. church. No, his family did because he wouldn't give them any money. <gasps> After he filed for divorce. She fought the divorce. She didn't even want to divorce him for some reason. You are a vile human being, Newt Gingrich. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Um, also, uh, he was already having an affair with the woman who would become his second wife, uh, Marianne. <clears throat> Marianne Ginter, Ginther, G-I-N-T-H-E-R. So marriage counseling worked. worked. <laughs> it didn't work. Uh, she worked for the Trumbull, Ohio County Planning Commission and was 28 years old when they started seeing each other. He was around 40. Unlike, oh, Anne Boleyn, Henry VIII. Done and done. Unlike Jackie, who had been older, well-educated, and made it her job to guide him through life, Marianne was younger, perhaps a little timid, and very starstruck. They married in August 1981, six months after the divorce from his first 18-year-long marriage was completed. <sighs> and a friend described their dynamic this way. Newt was indifferent to Marianne right from the beginning. It was him, not us. So they were frequently apart, with Marianne mostly remaining in the district in Georgia, while Newt was in Washington or traveling on business, whatever, politics, blah, blah, blah. She was still expected to contribute her time and income to his nope. political campaigns. Nope. What? What does she do? I don't, I don't know, actually. But... <laughs> Now you're living off the government's dime instead of my dime, but you want to live off my dime, too, in addition to the government's dime? It was not an overwhelmingly happy marriage. And Gingrich was, I kind of, both of them were a little overt. At one point, Newt told a reporter that he thought his marriage had a 53-47 chance of working. No, he did not. He did, because he's a scumbag. Marianne was quoted in the 1995 Vanity oh Fair God. piece saying... I would have to honestly say that Newt has worked very, very hard to change, which is totally what you say about people when things are solid. And it turns out he had not worked that hard. This is not a healthy relationships podcast. And had not changed. Um, I'm going to read a paragraph from the Vanity Fair profile. Okay. Um, this was written two years into the affair that Gingrich was having with wife number three while married to wife number two. Oh my God. Um, his current wife, let me just let you know, is named Callista and see if you can spot the problem in this text. But in Washington, there are many demands on the speaker's time. Since Newt became a national celebrity, he has no shortage of female admirers. From Callista Bissick, a former aide in Congressman Steve Gunderson's office, who has been a favorite breakfast companion, to the ubiquitous Ariana Stasinopoulos Huffington, who has become a self-appointed guardian to the newly desirable Newt. So, in I'm 19- sorry, we're going to need to back yeah. all of that up for a second. Uh-huh. So, A, yeah, um, the Speaker of the House has no time because they're so busy. <laughs> so... 
they can see all these women for breakfast in nooks, but you know, Nancy Pelosi's still getting shit done. Is she having secret breakfast liaisons? Let's with? hope. Because they're so busy. But wait a minute. I heard the name Callista. And I also heard Ariana Huffington. Skip her. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's not a big deal. I have no idea. It's totally- like He's apparently married and loose on the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's entirely possible that he had a fling with, with Huffington at some point. I, it's not one I know about. How far we far. Callista stuck, though, right? Jesus Christ. So. What, f- what, what year is this? That was 95. Okay. Fidelity. So hold on. He's thy name married- is not Newt Gingrich. He marries 1988, 81. New, new wife? Um, yes, August 81. Okay, so we're rolling on 15 years. And I'm yeah, cheating yeah. on you, but God knows how many other people I've cheated on you with because Absol- absolutely I just can't find a marriage counselor that works. So it's monstrous. Gingrich and congressional staffer Callista, who is 23 years his junior, Mm-mm. started sleeping together in 1993, an affair that happened to overlap his speakership and his tormenting of Bill Clinton for his affairs. But whatever, hypocrisy is something only little people worry about. So there's there's one legislative event that actually has been quite important. Glad you're talking about this because I'm about to bring it up. So I'm going to let you go ahead and right. do it, right? So the story. we're going to talk about a little law that... As I sit up a little straighter and get ready to yell. Yeah. We're going to talk about a little law that Newt and his Republican revolutionaries championed called the Defensive Marriage Act. Mother fucker. Doma. <sighs> This was Republican legislation introduced in the Congress in May of 1996, an election year, and the House Judiciary Committee explained that the law was intended to, quote, reflect and honor a collective moral judgment and to express moral disapproval of adultery, no, of homosexuality. So basically, all these adulterers have decided, you know what we need to do is kick some gay people around. That's not a lot of damn gall. Mr. Hypocrisy. Oh, yeah. Who lives nothing like a kind yeah. life. No, if this is the big defender of marriage, marriage is in trouble. And Jesus wept. <laughs> At the time, there were no states that allowed gay marriage. This was all just a yeah. preemptive fantasy going on. Doma said that while states could legalize gay marriage if they wanted to, Other states didn't have to recognize those marriages, undermining the Constitution's full faith and credit clause. Convenient loophole. Additionally, DOMA defined marriage as between one man and one woman in federal law, meaning that federal death benefits, for instance, didn't apply to same-sex spouses in the event that anyone ever legalized gay marriage, which, of course, they all did. And so, of course, in 2013, the Supreme Court said, this is unconstitutional and killed DOMA. Newt's big legislative legacy was unconstitutional but the dick i'm sorry no fucking duh it is absolutely unconstitutional and when we look at huh maybe you broke the gop and maybe you did found a new religion on a gop that has no legitimate construct in truth where you seem to think you can get away with every bit of your bad behavior where good people, people of color, gay people, trans people, 
different gender identity. Uh, Latina people. Puerto Rican people. Fuck all you fucker fucker Newt Gingrich. I'm so mad at you. So 19... Got a lot of damn gall. 1996 was a presidential election year, and Gingrich used DOMA as a cudgel against <sighs> fellow adulterer Bill Clinton, who was running for re-election that year. Clinton had come to power as a friend of the gay community, although I think... Like most of the communities that Clinton came to power as friends of, we've all reconsidered a bit in recent decades. I mean, for any quasi-Republican listening to this, I do have to say legitimately, Bill Clinton's not much better, and they both have their problems on the side of Shady. Um, So the DOMA bill was a way for for Gingrich and the Republicans to remind voters that Clinton, you know, was on the side of people not like them. Sure. And uh, also a way Find to pre- enemy. a way for the Republicans to pretend that they cared deeply about family values and would go to the mat to protect you know normals from um, I don't know gay people who might want to make families. <laughs> I think forty years of evidence has really proven their point that they really are on the side of the common man. Yeah, and I'll say this: as I was writing this, I just had a feeling that if I tried to explain. Doma, the 90, like the Republicans in the, like to a 20 year old today, they would not understand. They just would the, like, well, no, it, like generational concepts. Like, you forget. Yeah. The terms, the terms that were in play would just not make sense to, I, I think. Perimenopausal lady has not forgotten. And right. I was young then. Sure. And I'm still mad about Doma. Oh yeah. No, I will never not. Be I, mad I about was, Doma. I was 20 years old when this thing became law and they can all go fuck right off. They can all go to hell. Like, these people scarred me, and I hate them, and I will always hate them. Hey, why don't you go stand over with the Junior League, clutch your pearls, and fuck right off. Go walk across Peachtree Street, Newt. Um, (laughs) Please don't come after us in a sea. Go ahead. So We really don't wish death. He's 75. Out loud to Newt Gingrich. Gingrich, who was married to wife number two and three years into an affair, pushed through this marriage protecting legislation with veto proof majorities in the House and Senate. Sure. Noted adulterer Bill Clinton signed it into law reluctantly, he said later, and marriage was saved. Sorry, I heard veto proof majority. Yeah, president Listen, can't do anything about it. Gosh, if only Mitch if, McConnell. If you are not old enough to remember, just know that the 1990s were, were scandalous. A really weird time when a bunch of public adulterers were decided, scolding everyone else about marriage. Decided like, to hold moral high ground on it was the, the values of America. It was the craziest thing in the world. All and right, this is what broke us. So. 98 midterms happen. Republicans, uh, it turns out, are not that popular with people. Um, they <laughs> lose five seats, which is the worst performance. With humans? Humans who have souls? Yeah, it's the worst performance of an opposition party in a midterm in many decades. Uh, there is a boatload of ethics violations against Newt himself, who clearly is fast and loose with everything. It's a real head-scratcher. Um, he's forced out of the speakership, and he resigns from Congress in January 99. Yeah, he does. This does not end his career in politics, but it did take him out of the power structure for which we should all be deeply grateful. Meanwhile, and the crowd cheered. Hurrah! Meanwhile, at home, sometime in late 98 or early 99, Marianne, after roughly 18 years of marriage, 
is diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. What do you think Newt did when he found out? He filed for divorce! He filed for divorce I, twice in his life to women he'd been married to for 18 years who developed a disease. That is Newt Gingrich. Moving I don't, on. And this is where I'm stunned. I'm sorry, let me consult my list. Uh, foul. <laughs> Nauseating. <laughs> fulsome. <laughs> dreadful. What a fucking... Oh. Fucker dick. Fucking nightmare. And he'd been having this affair with Callista for the past six years. Six years. Talk about hanging on a thread. He's uh, he's a monster. Newt and Callista oh. married in August of 2000. He likes August marriages, apparently. Four months after his divorce from Marianne. So he waited two months less than the first one. Sure. Great. Let's talk about Callista. Callista, staggeringly, considers herself a devout Catholic. <laughs> oh, shit. I see where this is going. She even sings in the choir of the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in D.C. Uh-uh. Fucking your married boss for six years. Yeah, you know. Rules. No bigs. But I don't know, like, realize as a teenager that you're gay? Oh, that's terrible. I hate these people so much. So in the thing, in the Catholic religion, I'm sorry, I just had a flashback to all of my Catholicism classes. Sorry. Under the branch of sins, there are mortal sins and venial sins. Uh (laughs) That's all I have to say. Okay. There you go. I just pulled out some CCD lessons. Apparently, you know, confession absolves a lot. And now. No, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. For Newt, it does too, because in 2009, he converted. And in the process, he asked the church to annul his marriage to Marianne for some reason. Marianne's too? Okay. And she didn't want the annulment, but it happened. So either he somehow convinced her to say yes, or he just paid the Catholic Church extra to Well, ignore. no, because that's the thing. You spent a lot of time researching annulments. I didn't, actually. I know you <laughs> sent me some stuff. I did. So, I, not both, both parties do not have to agree to an annulment in the Catholic Church. See, I was just Henry thinking... Henry VIII, you started this shit, I dude. was. I was just thinking we could maybe tweet at the Defender of Traditional Marriage on Twitter to ask... Like, about the rules of annulment. How much do you have to pay your diocese? Yeah, that's kind of my question. So, 09, he becomes a Catholic. Uh, He's been married to Callista for nine years. They annul one of his marriages, so he is not yet Catholic married. Oh, because he's still married to Hot for Teacher. Yes. Okay. Who did not die of cancer in 1980. Uh, in 20- so much easier when they're dead to represent yourself at the annulment court. You're not kidding. <laughs> in 2016, Newt jumps on the Trump train really early. And so he reportedly was considered as a running mate. Once Trump won, he was floated for Secretary of State, Chief of Staff, Presidential Advisor. Why did not he get any of these positions? I... That's a great question, it, and I think it's because Newt Gingrich is kind of a weirdo, 
and there's only so much room in a White House full, full of, of weirdos, weirdos for one more. Like he is egotistical, is he opportunistic. Uh. He is ambitious, but he's always like he's always pretended to be the ideas guy. And I like believe me, I have very few moments of sympathy for Donald Trump. But my guess is when Donald Trump talks to Newt Gingrich, it's too much. He gets off the phone and is just like, "What the fuck with that guy?" Like, what did he just say? Yeah. Hey. So I think that I think that Gingrich, Gingrich thanks for being Paul Ryan's wet dream poster boy growing up. Yeah, I think that Gingrich exhausts um, Donald Trump. Well, he's a really vocal proponent. He is. For, like, he's a Trump talking train. head. But you know why? Do you Do you know why? Uh, well, do you, do you know why? Do you want to know why? I, I want to know why do you're going to tell me why. Because his Catholic wife wanted to be the ambassador to the Vatican. And do you know what happened? Do you know? Do you know? Tell me. Do you know? <laughs> in May you of... Think? You're like Daryl Cooper Smith in Adventures in Babysitting. Do you know? Do you know? In May of 2017, Trump nominated Callista Gingrich, a woman no. who fucked her married boss for six years, no. to be the United States ambassador to the Vatican. That's some holy see. Observers in Catholic <laughs> media were what do you know? a little? They were a little taken aback. Uh, this is from Michael Sean Winters in the National Catholic Reporter. Mrs. Gingrich's personal life no longer causes a stir. Apparently, still, it is astonishing that a party that celebrates family values at every turn has a president who's on his third wife and who bragged about his extramarital affairs and who is appointing an ambassador to the Vatican who had a six-year affair with her future husband while he was still married to his second wife. I don't straight people get away with so much shit. It's the truth. So anyway, in October, Callista became the U.S. ambassador to the Vatican. No, I've seen her stupid Instagram and, pictures like, oh, kick him back with my heels and champagne. There's the yeah. Pope. Yeah, her Instagram feed is now filled with photos of herself and her husband, Many of them weirdly, like, face-tuned into the uncanny valley. Closer to Vatican, closer to God. Yeah, they're gallivanting around Europe. Um, There are also a lot of food pictures on her Instagram feed, which is weird. There's one where a waiter in Rome appears to be feeding her spaghetti, which is not strange at all. All right, here's the, here's the, let me give you the kicker. Mm. Let me give you the awful, (laughs) horrible, terrible kicker to all of this. According to Newt's Wikipedia page, the Catholic Church recognizes his third marriage as valid because it annulled his second marriage and his first wife is deceased. Which means that following Jackie's... Oh, he had to wait for the first one to die in order for his marriage... Which means that following Jackie's death in 2013, he and Callista went back to the church to point out that she had died to get their Catholic gold star or something. They'd been married for 13 years at that point. What a fucking dick. So... That's the story of the trashy divorces and just life of Newt Gingrich. Uh, Obviously, this guy has a clock when it comes to women, and he's got an aversion to illness. And if past his prologue, the third marriage should be over pretty soon. So stay healthy, Callista. Your husband gets five (laughs) trash cans. I am out of synonyms. What a fucking dick. Keep your prick in your pants. What is wrong with you? You are the devil came from Georgia in Atlanta's most scandalous son. I concur 
with your five garbage band. Yeah. He's Henry VIII reincarnated. He's he's an ugly, ugly, like. Give him a few more years. Let's see if he can get three more wives in the can. Yeah. Before he go- uh, the good news is that he's tree. the good news is that he's seventy five, which means he won't be around that much longer, one way or another. So two trashy divorces for Newt, so far, that were pretty grimy. Oh, super, super grimy. His children were being fed by their the church. church. Stay healthy, Callista. Yeah, he's a good Catholic. <sighs> it was a Baptist church just before he converted. I I need a drink. Great. Um, that's that it. Is, that's it for us this week. <laughs> that's a wrap Whew. on trashy divorces. Those are our favorite. Oh, Atlanta. Oh, Atlanta, hometown. Devil went down to Georgia. Atlanta divorces. We'll talk to you next week. Wowza! What? A- dick keep it trashy stay single don't marry newt gingrich oh god yes (laughs) cheers y'all cheers (laughs) and thanks to you for listening trashy divorces is a hemlock creatives production created and produced right here in atlanta georgia by us stacy and alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.